Welcome to Refocus Together. I'm your host, Lindsay Gensel, and this is a special ADHD Awareness Month series of my podcast, Refocused with Lindsay Gensel. If you're a regular listener, you know that the Refocus podcast is where we change the narrative around ADHD and share the tips and tools we need to refocus and live our best lives. If you're new here and found us because it's ADHD Awareness Month, welcome. We are so glad you're here and I truly hope you'll stick around long after October ends. Now, there are parts of this ADHD journey that some of us have figured out, and there are parts that we still need help cracking. And so for ADHD Awareness Month, I'm collaborating, as always, with my partner, ADHD Online, to interview 31 people. That's one interview for every day of the month about their own ADHD experience. We'll hear from people who were diagnosed as kids and those diagnosed well into adulthood. We'll talk about hyperfocus and distraction, stigma and shame, grief and acceptance, and so much more. And we'll see that ADHD can affect anyone, all genders, orientations, backgrounds, nationalities, and cultures. And while there are differences in how we live this truth, There are also so many similarities that bring us together in community. This special project is very near and dear to my heart. And although talking to 31 different people has been a lot of talking, I'm so grateful for each person who shared their story and am truly forever changed by these conversations. And I cannot wait for you to meet my guests and get to know them. Be sure to subscribe to Refocus with Lindsay Gensel so that you don't miss a single story this month. And with that, let's get on to today's episode, the very first episode of Refocus Together, which, if you've been listening for a while, flips the script on the regular roles we've all fallen into playing here before. Hi, I'm Keith Boswell. I'm the Vice President of Marketing here at ADHD Online. I'm joined today by Lindsay Gensel. She is the podcast host of Refocus with Lindsay Gensel. We are really excited today kicking off, really, you're the first guest in your own story. Yeah, I guess. Aren't I? Yeah. Yeah. Is that it? Is that what we're doing? I think so. It's very interesting. So when we think back on this idea to tell 31 stories in 31 days, I've been trying to figure out when it came to me. I know it was early July because I remember pitching it to you guys middle of July. And I think I said something like this crazy idea, but I'm really excited about it. And what I love is every time I approach ADHD online and and the team of people we work with about an idea, everyone is like really gung-ho. And the, the great part about this is that it's been such a collaborative effort to not only figure out how we want to tell these stories, but to find people to talk to and to make sure that we are, you know, finding a really diverse group of people. You know, we are talking to people in their early teens all the way up to like their late 50s and 60s, this phase in life, mature adults, and they're, they're kind of in this new 
routine of their own. And it's a very ADHD project. Mm -hmm. It's very much like, yeah, one podcast a week could have been just fine. Right. But it's a go big or go home. And for me, honestly, this is kind of my first ADHD awareness month. So I was diagnosed in January of 2021. But I don't think I even knew it was ADHD Awareness Month in October until like the last week. And to me, that's just a sign that we're not doing a good enough job talking about the awareness and the complexity of, of what this diagnosis is. Yeah, and how many people are going through it. Yes, and I mean, the numbers just keep rising. And that's honestly been the best part about this podcast is the people who reach out, who talk about hearing themselves and feeling connected. And it's truly kind of unreal. It's a little overwhelming at times, not because I don't understand where they're coming from. Right. But it's kind of that, I, I, it's the imposter syndrome for sure. It's oh. very much the like, I'm not deserving of that praise. And it's just been really amazing to kind of see how people have connected. Yeah. Refocused. It's one of those things, you know, when we even... We talked about, oh, we wanted to launch a podcast. And you were like, I wanted to launch a podcast. And we thought, what might we do? And we finally had it ready in May. And I remember like nervously telling people like, we've launched, we have a podcast. And it's, I hate to say it, but it's one of those things now where it's like, feels like everybody's got a podcast. Oh, everyone does right? have a podcast. So <laughs> it doesn't seem that special anymore. No, it's not it like doesn't. bringing a cake or cookies no, and everyone's excited. No, it's not innovative. We're right. literally like 10 years behind the game on this. And so I was like telling people, and it was always with like bated breath, because it's like, what are they going to say? Will they listen? Will they care? And the great thing for me was all the feedback that came back that people were like, wow, this is really good and better than I expected. I mean, things that, you know you hope for, but you don't, you just don't know till you put it out there. Well, let's talk a little bit about your diagnosis okay. story. So I know you've shared it before in the podcast, but kind of give us the setup. What was going on that led to you thinking you might want to get tested for ADHD? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, in episode two, I shared my story and I actually interviewed one of my older sisters. And in just that time, you know, we're talking May to October, I've learned so much more about my own story. And so I actually think it is very interesting to be kind of coming back to it on October 1st, the first day of ADHD Awareness Month. I can look back in my phone and I have screenshots from like 2020, uh, actually with Danny Donovan. And there were screenshots of tweets she had sent out that I just connected with. And I screenshot them, I put them into my phone, and I don't think I ever like really went back to them. And Knowing what I know now about my ADHD, uh, I'm combined type, but I think for me, the inattentive side of that, the comorbidities, the anxiety to the depression started very, very young. I remember holding shame about stuff that happened in first grade, having a really hard time when I would get in trouble. And I say get in trouble and that makes it sound like I got arrested or something. It was like, no, I like turned in a paper late or um, the story that I love to tell. And it's kind of actually the perfect analogy for somebody who was ADHD combined type but was undiagnosed was I had a really hard time figuring out a schedule 
for sticking to things. And of course, in late elementary school, middle school is when they started having, you would take your planner home mm -hmm. and you had to have your parents sign it right. and, and show them. I never could remember. You know, we're talking the 90s. It wasn't like you had smartphones or watches to tell you like, hey, it's Thursday night, grab your planner. It was one of those things like you had to have your own routine, get the planner, set the bag out, all of those things. And that was not happening in my life. And I was so afraid of getting in trouble for not having my planner signed that I forged my mom's signature. Now here's where the ADHD combined type, like the very confident fifth grader who thought that she could match Karen Gensel's perfect handwriting, like her immaculate cursive. Like I went into that classroom thinking like... Done deal. Done deal. Yeah. No, not at all. Mrs. O'Neill was a very good teacher because she did not buy it for a second. And you want to know what's so funny is that I still run into Mrs. O'Neill when I go oh home to visit my mom. And I don't know if she knows this, but like I have held shame. I get emotional saying this. I held shame for so long for something that every kid does. Right. Every kid gets in trouble. Every kid thinks that they're smarter than the teacher. And I'm sure Mrs. O'Neill, like maybe she remembers it because it was like a surprising thing for me to do, but I don't think that she's holding this grudge against me for, a, but that's how it, it plays it out in your brain. Those things hold in your head in ways it's really hard yeah. for others to understand. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I can see it at a very early age and I was very good at school. I was not great at homework. It was those things of setting up my own routine, you know, I can look at really when the wheels fell off in college, I didn't even like know what program I wanted to study or what school I wanted to apply to. And there's so much grief with that because college for me was a really amazing experience, but it's when I met my closest friends, you know, all of the things that I, I got to do, but I never got to really dive into figuring out who I was. And What's great about college is that that's the time to do it. You mm -hmm. get to look into random programs and, and take classes that interest you. And I was just, there were so many things happening. And I even remember like, <laughs> I needed a part-time job and like a much easier route would have been getting a campus job, but I didn't go that route. I got a nannying job where I had to be in this house at like 6.30 in the morning it was not a good fit, but on the inattentive side, I didn't know how to say that. Right. And so I faked mono. <laughs> it's like so embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing, but it was such a bad fit. And the, my only way out was like, okay, how do I get out of here without having to tell them that this isn't a good fit? Right. I was just very always on edge about disappointing people. And so, you know, it, it... And are you playing out all the what-ifs in your head? Oh, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Which is why, and I've said this numerous times, this partnership with ADHD Online has been such a gift because you guys have welcomed me with open arms and we're like learning this as we go. Mm -hmm. And it became very clear that I could come to you with all of the hiccups and all of the issues. And I didn't have that fear. I mean, maybe the first time, like getting it out, but the growth that I've seen just from my diagnosis to now and with this podcast, you know, somebody asked me the other day about how I view my life with ADHD. And honestly, the last year and a half is the happiest I've ever been. Because I think once you realize 
I was lucky I got to have that aha moment with medication. You know, I'm very happy with my my medication right now, with my treatment plan, knock on wood, because it's very likely that that could change. Mm-hmm. I have a great therapist. I am working on establishing better boundaries, not only with work. You know, as a freelancer, I have so many different relationships, but really instead of just saying yes to everything, only saying yes to the things I want to do, it's that people pleaser in me. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of things, it's like the day I took the medication, it was like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be feeling. This is how my brain is supposed to feel. Like I used to joke that I was a night owl and it's like, no, I think I'm actually kind of a morning person, but I'm a morning person when my ADHD is being managed. Right. And I'm lucky because I get this next chapter. Like the next 10, 20, 30 years are going to be incredible. And I'm working on letting go of the rest of it. And it's hard. Well, it yeah. is very hard. It is hard because that's the piece where we talk about this often, the 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 what ifs, mm-hmm. right? And I mean not just the what ifs that you can run through in day to day, but the what if I had known sooner? What if I had, right? you know, yeah. How do you, I know it's an active thing, but how are you, how are you with that now? I have days. I still really struggle when I see people doing what I thought I wanted to be doing and the jealousy kind of roars its ugly head and I also think I came from this generation of you can be whatever you want to be. What do you want to be when you grow up? Yes, you can be that. And I think there was this expectation. It wasn't like it was ever said, but it was like, oh, yeah, no, you're going to do that in your 20s. And then you're like, you get to your 20s and you're looking around and you're like, this isn't what I was promised. And so it kind of goes back to even the conversation with like a treatment plan. Like we know what we're supposed to do, but we aren't given a timeline for that. And I think it's really hard not just for people who are neurodivergent, but for everyone to like dive into something without knowing like, yes, this is exactly how long it's going to take me. And it's with everything. I mean, like training for a race or uh, redoing your basement. You know, we give ourselves these deadlines that have no real basis in truth. Right. They're arbitrary. And then to go off of somebody with ADHD, we have time blindness. So... I just, it's hard. It's really hard. But I do think, and it sounds cliche and, and, you know, it makes me feel a little bit like, you know, I'm selling something online late at night and I'm asking you to call like a 1-800 number. But I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so everything that led to this point got me here, whether it was jobs that I left or quit because I didn't feel like I was a part of the team, which we know is a big part of Mm -hmm. the inattentive side of ADHD, Mm -hmm. the rejection and the rumination and the fear of not belonging. And it's all of the mistakes, you know, it's, it's fixing some of the things I did in my past, mostly with money because we didn't know better. Mm -hmm. And We didn't know what we were doing, which was feeding our brain with dopamine. And so I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. And that is really, really powerful. And so to get to be doing what I'm passionate about, 
in a way that's helping people. I think it kind of combines all these things that I wanted in life. You know, like I'm an Enneagram too. I'm definitely the helper. So this podcast and connecting with this community of people has been really instrumental. But on the flip side, I get to do what I've always wanted to do, which is be a storyteller. And, and that's been awesome. Feeling like you're where you're supposed to be is a big win yeah. at any point in life. What are the parts of your ADHD that you still struggle with oh gosh. the most? Money. Money. Money is terrible for me. Uh, is it impulsivity? Is it, it's what an, is it? It's a big picture on money. It's, it is the impulsivity for sure, but it's almost like not having an understanding of what money is. Like what is a dollar? What is my time worth? What is my work worth? It's all of those things. And I think money and being in debt and all of the things that come with that, that itself is just like a load of bricks on your chest. And I've been very fortunate. Like generational wealth is real. There were very many times in my 20s where my parents picked up the pieces. And I know that that is a gift that I'm constantly repaying by mm -hmm. making my mom my plus one to every fun thing I get invited <laughs> to. But I just, I think I have a really hard time with that. You know, it's it's not, it doesn't get fixed when you have money. Right. It's, it's like y you can start making more money and your problems are still there. So that's a big one. Organization. When someone has a plan in place, I can stick to that. I can follow that order. It's when I'm asked to set it up for myself and trying to do too much, which I know is very hilarious to say on episode one of a podcast special series that is 31 episodes in 31 days. I, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Just it's, take on something else. Yes. It's not even, I guess, big picture for the project stuff. It's even like day to day. There's times where I'm like, oh, I can do all of this stuff. I can do this, 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 and this. And then you're in the middle of it and you're miserable because you're stressed out and you're running late and you're trying to get all of these things done because you've overloaded yourself. And in the moment you're like, I'm never doing this again. And then it's next Tuesday and you're in it again. And so it's right. cutting back some of those things. Um, I used to be so impulsive. If I got an idea or I saw something I wanted and it was at a store across town, I would drive there. I would drop whatever I was doing and drive there. And, and going back to like the grief of things, I think that has played a big part of it. The impulsivity and the lack of focus even in the pandemic, and I know I'm not alone in this, I feel like people who are neurodivergent and neurotypical probably feel the same as well. We were gifted all this time, and we look back and we're like, what did I do with I, yeah, it? Yeah, there's nothing to show for it. And and that's the part of our brain where we're like, there's nothing to show for it, but think of all the things that you did do. We all spent more time with our families. Oh, yeah. like, my boyfriend John and I created these amazing traditions around the holidays when we couldn't see our families. Like Those things wouldn't have happened had we not had that time. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have got to sit in on orchestra class and yeah, choir. Yeah, yeah. Ever. Right. So. And it, so it is, it's changing the way we speak to ourselves, which is very hard. But it's also such an important part of the process. Right. Well, then let's go to the positive. The positives. Where, where does ADHD give you your strength? Yeah. You know, it is a strength. I love so many different things and I love to do so many different things. Like everyone asks about my career path and I have to like explain like I was really into this and that I was really into that and I still am really into them. But it was 
trying to find something that I wanted to do every single day was such a struggle. And I know I'm supposed to say on the positive side of things. So it's like, it, it's knowing that I can still be passionate about those things and that they don't have to be as big of a part of my life. I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's that it's still giving them the energy without the weight. Yes. Does yes. that make sense? Yes. Yeah. One thing that I will say that I have changed leaps and bounds is my connection to things. So when we talk about money and we talk about the dopamine rush and the impulsivity, we don't talk about the flip side when you're trying to get your life in order and you've come to terms with the fact that these behaviors have to stop. Getting rid of the stuff brings in this whole level of shame and disappointment and I mean, we are really brutal to ourselves and it's the power that we attach to money and that we've spent money on this, we should keep it. And so we never make the moves that we want to. And I had this moment not too long ago where I just went closet to closet. It was like a Monday afternoon and there was no attachment to things any longer. It was get it out of my house, I want it gone. And it was so funny, I, uh, I think it was in one of the webinars we were hosting I was okay. talking about all of these craft items and half-finished things, and someone in the chat very kindly suggested, well, there's a website for that. You can go on this website, and people will take your oh, half-finished right. yeah, projects. And it's that. like, yeah. but that's another thing to add to my list. And right now, I need it out of the house. And so getting it in a box, getting it in the car, getting it to the donation site, and not feeling sad about it, not feeling the feelings of grief of... What you'd given up or not done. Exactly. And and I, I do think mine is very much tied to the time, energy, and money that I spent on it. Yep. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that. So mm -hmm. just detaching from it, working on accepting the fact that that time is not something I'm going to get back. And I could sit there and ruminate on it and make myself feel terrible, which I do... Sometimes that does still happen. It's not just like I woke up one day and it's right. gone. But it does me no good. And the best part about that is knowing moving forward, working on saying yes to what I want to say yes to. And saying no and being okay saying no. I, a lovely human taught me a great line that I have used more frequently than I thought I would because I think I was afraid to say it. I don't like to disappoint people. It's, I would love to help with that right now or I would love to do that right now, but I'm at capacity. Mm -hmm. You don't need an explanation. You know, I think we, as people pleasers, are very quick to feel like we owe everyone an explanation of for why everything. we can't do something or why it's not going to work for us. I mean, even things from someone asking you to go to dinner on Friday night to like, taking on a work project at work or whatever right. it is, like having boundaries, standing up for yourself. And I used to equate standing up for yourself and confrontation. That was very, they were interlinked to me. Mm -hmm. And I laugh because we have had many conversations about emotional regulation and like, hello, so much of my life, like not being able to, communicate my feelings without getting angry. And I say getting angry and I don't even know if I'm angry in the moment, but it's like I couldn't hold a calm conversation about something that I was passionate about. 
Nope. And so my voice would go up or I would cry. And then it's like no one knew what to do. And then I would feel bad. And so right. it's being able to say, hey, it really hurt my feelings when you did this. Or I don't like the way this was done. Can we do that again? I, I had this moment where I was explaining my fear of upsetting people. And the number of times that I would go into a store where salespeople would help you, whether they worked on commission or not, where I would buy whatever it was that they were selling me, knowing I would come back and return it. <laughs> because admitting in the moment that I wasn't interested or it wasn't what I was looking for, and I'm never going to see those people again. Right. And you're just giving them. Yeah. Both times. Yes. And so it's it's really this moment of like acknowledging, like raising yourself up, knowing what your weaknesses are. I mean, I have a ton of weaknesses. They're very present in everyday life. They're very present in the podcast. And I think being open and honest about them is like the only way to move forward. And yeah, you know, like I said, I think the last year and a half, it's the best year and a half of my life because... I'm finally who, I say I'm finally who I thought I was in my 20s, who I pretended to be in my right. 20s. You know, I was this really confident, like the quote unquote cool girl. I didn't let anything bother me. I was go with the flow, which none of that was true. Like, right. That I ever described myself as go with the flow is is pretty comical. So. That's really funny. Well, <laughs> so you touched on something there that I think a lot of people, or it's interesting to me, I'll put it that way. Just getting medication to me is not enough no right this is something i've learned now having started treatment that it's not a magic key that suddenly my adhd is magically cured right and i'm just interested i mean part of i think what you're talking about is that growth that a lot of people that are wondering if they have adhd or they might know they have adhd they may not have Put that work in. I know I didn't for a long time. So I'm just wondering how much does addressing it beyond medication mean to you? Oh, it's the only way forward, truly, because you're addressing the big picture. Medication is one of the tools. Like for me, truthfully, I had an incident not too long ago where I I went down to stay with my mom for the night and I forgot my medicine. And it was not pretty. It was not pretty in part because it's a part of my routine. Mm -hmm. My brain felt foggy. I felt very much like I had for almost 35 years. Mm -hmm. But I also think it was my brain playing tricks on me that I didn't have this. I had four interviews that day for the podcast lined up. So it was very intensive, very hyper-focused on mm -hmm. these things. And I got done and I was exhausted. And it was such a crash course in understanding the power of the medicine. But at the end of the day, what has really helped change my routine and change my patterns is therapy. I have an amazing therapist. Some days we come in and I talk about my feelings and some days we make lists. Like we have a running to-do list and every week we go through it. She takes things off of it. It's this level of accountability that comes from somebody who really just wants to see me succeed. And it was great to do that first. 
because now I'm feeling more comfortable asking for that support from other people in life, mm-hmm. from friends, from my partner, from my mom and my sisters. And getting to that level of feeling comfortable saying like, hey, this is how I work best, or this is what I need from you, or this is not working for me. Can we reevaluate this? Like being comfortable asking for that. And then I had this moment, and I think it's so funny, is because we we really like quantitative results when it comes to how well we're doing at something. Qualitative is just too hard for us to see. But not too long ago, I had this moment where I was like, God, I am feeling great. I'm sleeping well. Everything is, you know, everything is, I'm just really, I'm, I'm feeling great. And I was kind of going through the things in my head. Well, I've been doing this and I've been doing that. And I take my medicine and I'm going to therapy and I've been eating better. And then there was this moment where I was like, and you've been working out regularly for like three years. And it's not like I got a notification like, hey, you've improved your health. You know, like it doesn't happen. It's not like that. Like, and I kind of think we're always waiting for that. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've never had issues with my blood pressure or anything like that. So when I go into the doctor, they're always like, yeah, you're, you're good. And so it wasn't until I sat down and I had this moment of like, no, I'm feeling as good as I am because I'm doing all of the things that they said. Right. Like, isn't it crazy to think they say if you work out regularly and for everybody that looks differently, but you move your body on a consistent basis, it's likely you'll feel better. Yeah. Who knew? All right. So then what are some of the tips you have when you're noticing ADHD in your day that you turn to that help you cope with it? So it's really interesting because... I'm really excited to kind of get back into a normal routine once we get Refocus Together launched because the conversations that I've had with these people, these, you know, so many different stories with ADHD, I've learned so many amazing tips and tricks that are working for them that I can't wait to go back and implement into my own routine that I can see are things that I haven't been doing. The biggest being, and I know we're going to talk about what I do that's good, but I think the biggest thing is that I leave my schedule too open for other people. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to somebody and they were like, no, I only take meetings on Monday or I only take meetings between 10 and noon. And I was like, really? You're like, you're that? Right. And they're like, yeah, if they want to meet with me, they can meet with me then or they can ask for a different time. And yes, I'm willing sometimes to accommodate, but this is how I work best. Right. So I'm super excited. It's like very geeky to get back and like set a routine and, and yep. try to stick to it because I've just not had that. Also on the flip side of, I tried to implement that over the summer, which it was like the last week of August. And I was like, maybe summer was not the best time to establish a new routine. Probably not. What has worked for me is notes, is setting timers, is having reminders, is turning off notifications to all of the shiny objects on my phone. I don't get notifications for any social media. I don't get any notifications for email unless it's a specified sender. I say to people, if you are trying to get a hold of me, this is the best way to do it because Mm -hmm. I am blocking the rest of it out. And then I've actually started adding in meditation when I need it. So every once in a while, that midday exhaustion that I dealt with for almost 35 years, that feeling at two or three or four, depending on how busy my morning's been and how Mm -hmm. on I've had to be, Mm I want to go to bed. I want to crawl into bed. If the weather's crummy, I want to crawl into bed. And what I've started doing instead is I pull out my sad light or I go out on the deck if it's sunny 
and I turn on like a 20 minute breathing exercise. I just go to YouTube and I find something and it's just that 20 minutes of breathing and being with my thoughts. And it is, it's kind of scary how, like if it were a video game, that would be like the moment when like all the energy comes back up and I like rise from the dead and I'm like, all right, what are we doing? But it's acknowledging and setting that time aside for yourself mm-hmm. and giving yourself grace. You know, I used to beat myself up if I scheduled something and I was like, I'm too tired. And being aware of how we feel and when we work at our best is really just, it's such a game changer. What do you want people to know about ADHD that you feel like a lot of people either misunderstand or just, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense to them? It's the complexity. And I truly think when I go back to the beginning of thinking about telling 31 stories is telling as many different stories as possible because everyone's story when they were diagnosed is different, but how it shows up in life is different. And we don't talk enough about the comorbidities that come with Mm -hmm. a diagnosis like ADHD. You know, I can explain to my friends I can go back to scenarios where I didn't behave my best or I was upset about something and I couldn't quite figure out why and now I know and I can explain to them like, hey, I know that this doesn't make sense to you or maybe when I say it, it sounds really strange, but this is where my brain went, especially for stuff like rejection sensitive dysphoria. I'm not at the point where I'm saying ADHD is my superpower. There are obviously things like producing 31 podcasts in 31 days that are very ADHD. And I can say like, yes, being creative and being outside the box, like, and thinking that way is amazing. But ADHD and some of the side effects of it have been incredibly destructive in my life. They've pushed me out of jobs. They've pushed me out of relationships. They've pushed me out of things I worked incredibly hard to get to. And then you get there and you feel like you don't belong and you feel like everyone is against you. And it's the stories we tell ourselves. And what I love about that phrase is I say that phrase to dear friends who are neurotypical and they can relate in that sense. Yes. Because every single person has walked into a room or has not been invited to something or has, you know, had something happen where they've internalized it to make them think it's all about them, right. they're the bad egg or they're the, the reason that that happened or, I mean, there's so many ways to go with it. But when you start to think about like why your brain is doing what it's doing and the stories that you're telling yourself, it's, it's incredibly powerful. And I, I think it's really interesting getting this later in life diagnosis because I do think when I was a kid and I hate admitting this, but I do think that the children who fit into that category of having at the time ADD and would be getting extra help or were loud and would get kicked out of the classroom, like they got labeled as, and I'm going to say this word, they got labeled as dumb. They were the dumb kids. And it's so disheartening to say that and to know that that was such a common misconception. And I do think it's that outdated stereotype that ADHD is in t- is tied to intelligence mm-hmm. and what you're capable of accomplishing mm-hmm. 
that holds a lot of people back from talking about their own ADHD. And so telling all of these stories, telling my story and just highlighting how prominent it is. You know, when we look at psychology and when ADHD was first talked about, like it's very new. This is not a, like I was at stuff last week where I still heard people referring to it as ADD. Right. So it's not even as commonly known yet that it's called ADHD and there's three different types and here's where they fall in and, and how people get diagnosed and, and given a specific diagnosis. And that to me is like the most important part is one, changing the stereotype and two, making some of the other things that are a little lesser known, like rejection sensitivity dysphoria mm -hmm. and rumination. Like let's go back to Mrs. O'Neill's class in fifth grade and talk about how much time I wasted Oh my gosh. Sitting in that rocking chair, just rocking away. It's like, got me nowhere. Got me nowhere. It just made me feel terrible about myself. But again, it was the story that my brain was telling me and it was so incredibly powerful. And so just sharing some of those things. And, and I hope, you know, the more stories we tell and the more people who see themselves in those stories and start to get the answers that they've been looking for, you know, that's incredibly powerful. And the last thing that I'd like to kind of add in is, Getting a diagnosis doesn't mean that you have to change your life. No. It's giving you like a manual to your brain in a sense. It's just giving you a better understanding. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to start taking medicine or start therapy. You don't have to tell anyone, but it opens up those opportunities. Yeah. And just being able to kind of recontextualize yourself. It's huge. Well, I, I just want to thank you from the team at ADHD Online as we kick this off because you know, we're so excited to bring these stories forward. And I think part of our mission and putting the faces of ADHD out there is to break through just kind of some of the symptoms and the, the common misconceptions that people have. So we were thrilled when you came with this idea. We, we continue to love what you're doing and we just can't wait to get all these stories out there and see where it leads. So thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, thank you for letting me come into that meeting, guns a-blazing, and roll off that pitch, and not one person, <laughs> not one person tried to talk me out of it, which is maybe, maybe a... I remember us chatting, and we were like, 31 days, all right. Couldn't have all been, right. couldn't have been I mean, February, right? No, well, and we were like, <laughs> but that's also, that's just kind of how we roll. Yes. So it's, it, it seems to fit. Yeah. It's fitting. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Boz. my first opportunity to thank everyone who has helped make this project happen so just give me a moment it won't always be this long I promise first and foremost to Zach Booker Dr. Randall Dutler Tim Gutwald Heath Brophy as well as the entire team at ADHD online thank you for supporting this collaboration from day one and for always welcoming me into Grand Rapids with open arms to Keith Boswell Suzanne Spruitt Claudia Gotti Melanie Miles Paul Owen, Kirsten Pip, Sissy Yee, Trisha Merchandunny, Lauren Radley, the entire team at Dexia, but most importantly, Corey Kearney and Mason Nelly, who made set days the most fun. 
which of course wouldn't be the same without Cameron Sterling and Candace Lefke, two incredible talents who made me look and feel amazing. Thank you for your dedication and enthusiasm and for helping keep this train on the tracks. We have learned so stinking much in the last couple of weeks. Next year, it's going to be an absolute breeze. To my production team, Camilla Eden, Lauren Terry, Sarah Gelbard, Phil Rodeman, and Sarah Platinitis. Sarah, you created the most beautiful spreadsheet I have ever encountered. You are a true genius for putting the chaos of my brain into a document that actually worked for me. And I am so grateful you shared your talents with us these last few months. To my team, I'm a better storyteller because of your support. Thank you for sticking with me. To the wonderful people who have shared their stories with me already, and for those that maybe now are feeling a little bit of motivation to share their own, thank you for trusting me. I'm truly honored. To my family, my mom, my sisters, Allison, Angie, and Kate, my awesome brother-in-laws, Terry, Eric, and Senior, thank you for encouraging me to share my story and for helping me understand myself better. I'm constantly reminded of how lucky I am. And to my dad, I miss you. So much of who I am is you, and you're woven through so many of these episodes. And finally, to John, thank you for understanding how much this project means to me. That's truly been the best support you could have ever given me. And that's it. That's the very first episode of Refocus Together. Here's to 30 more episodes, you guys. Our theme music was created by Lewis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based in Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. To find out more about Refocus Together or to share your story with me, head over to ADHDonline.com and check out the ADHD Awareness Month page, which highlights this project, as well as each day's episode after they've been released. You can also find out more by following along on social at Lindsay Gensel and at RefocusPod.